Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Republicans really became the dominant force among blue-collar, lower-income, rural voters. We see to see that accelerating even more tonight under Glenn Youngkin. But the second was a bad news story for Republicans. They started to lose the suburbs in big numbers, where especially you had college-educated voters. That seems to be reversing tonight. Republicans are competitive in the suburbs. They're not getting their clock cleaned. The future for the Republican Party is to be the blue-collar party that wins big in rural areas, wins big in the towns, but is competitive in the suburbs. Yeah, well, that's all about the fact that the Republican won in Virginia. Here's here's what you got to do in uh, races if you're going to try to extrapolate and, and call this a bellwether. You got to get the Democrat to say parents have no role in what's taught in the schools. If you can get your opponent to say that, I think yeah. you will carry a lot of those counties and kind of people that uh, Youngkin carried. I mean, I, I was, think that I think that had a lot. Well, that's when the polls changed. I mean, it's as as clear as can be. You can see when when he said that in a debate. The race changed. Yeah, I think the greater significance of it is that he was expressing what he believed. And people took him at his word. And you had a state, Virginia, formerly purple, now quite lovely shade of blue, go governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general, Republican. Every single county moved right. Now, that's it's not because... It's not as simple as that's because Terry McAuliffe said that. It's because Terry McAuliffe, uh, McAuliffe said that, and especially parents around the state said, whoa, y'all believe that? Right. As uh, Brian Williams said on MSNBC last night, that soundbite, that was a soundbite that made its own gravy. I thought that <laughs> was a good quote. Because, yeah, yeah, if your opponent says, parents have no role in what we teach in schools, okay. If I, I don't know how I, you know, I didn't see the debate. Um, I don't watch debates in my own state, let alone <laughs> gubernatorial debates in other states. But, uh, man, if I'm the opponent, if I, if my opponent says that, I just, can I step back from the mic? I just want to make sure everybody, could you, you want to repeat that? Go ahead. You have the floor. I, I cede my time to you. Go ahead. Say that again into the microphone loudly, would you please? Right. Go right. ahead. Say that all you want. And that's yeah. the result you get. Well, and if I were wishing for, Republicans, conservatives, whatever, and Republicans and conservatives are, are increasingly not the same. Um, if I were rooting for that success to snowball and to continue and to be big in the midterms and big in 2024, what I would wish for is that the Democrats, particularly the energetic left of the Democrats, misinterpret that result completely. I would hope that they would completely, wildly miss the message that was delivered to them. And I think they did. Can we hear clip 38? This is the lovely and eloquent Joy Reid of MSNBC. The exit poll showed that... that which was interesting that the coronavirus or that the virus it was a very has low not importance to many yes, of the voters. Which there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. That's exactly right. You're, yeah. Boy, you nailed it. You figured us out. You figured us out. Education. When we talk about educating our kids, it's code for white supremacy. Damn it. We thought we fooled you. No, it's code for education. We want regular, normal, plain old fashioned education. And none of this crap, and you're out of your mind, you're a lunatic. 
and all your critical theory stuff, which is straight out of Marxism and way, way, way left, though it has become mainstream in the teachers' colleges and the social departments and on MSNBC, when the average Democrat voter, you know, independents and conservatives, I'll get to you in a second. If you could sit patiently, maybe flip through a magazine, I'd like to address the Democratic voters. The average Democrat voter, be they working class, white, Hispanic, all our fabulous, hardworking Hispanic Americans, uh, the black folks trying to make a living, trying to raise their kids, sometimes in dangerous places, sometimes in the cities, they're hearing that stuff and saying, y'all are nuts. Y'all are cuckoo birds. It's weird. I mean, MSNBC gets to go about their audience however the hell they want. Good luck if you think that's the way to get it. But their main primetime coverage team was their well their moderate was rachel maddow with joy reed who you just heard there who's way out there lunatic represents two percent of america and nicole wallace former republican who's out there on the ledge too and tom bevan of real clear politics tweeted out and i thought this was funny wow watching msnbc absolutely delusional analysis by nicole wallace joy reed and rachel maddow that's a blue check mark you know big deal in 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 punditry saying their coverage is delusional on msnbc because it was as you just heard they blamed it on white supremacy dog whistles okay that's that's what happened there. Hey, well, right. and I can't remember whether it was uh, Tom Bevan or somebody else. One of those uh, similar status blue checkmark folks pointed out the most uh, interesting statistic I've heard in a very long time, and one of the most interesting you will hear in a very long time. After a quick word, we promise from our friends at Car Shield, you get a big unexpected repair. It can bleed you dry. It can waste your time. It's a lose lose. But taking care of a covered repair, if you have Car Shield, Car Shield's administrators take over. They handle the paperwork, the expensive payments. So you don't have to, no hassles, no headaches. Seriously, CarShield could save you thousands. And do you still get to choose the mechanic to do the work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as Joe said, the CarShield administrators take care of all the rest. Um, the paperwork, that's huge for me. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, CarShield has a monthly coverage option. Yeah, it is month to month, which is cool. A monthly coverage option to fit your budget. They've helped over a million drivers in America. It's America's number one auto protection company. Maybe you didn't know that. All right, I give, I give. I want to look into it. Uh, here's what you do. Get coverage today. See why CarShield cars go further by visiting carshield.com slash Armstrong to save 10%. That's carshield.com slash Armstrong. A deductible may apply. Go to carshield.com slash Armstrong. Jack, correct me if I'm wrong. The stat offered up by one of your great thinkers, was it uh, Jonathan Swan at Axios or Bevan at Real Clear Politics? But it's, it's undeniably true. Or who knows what it was. You'll tell us who it was. There are three times as many moderate to conservative, black, Hispanic, and white, is it? Uh, Democrats. People of color. Oh, it's moderate just and people of color. Yeah, there are three times as many moderate and conservative people of color as there are the white, uber-liberal, college-educated. Within the Democratic Party. And so that's how off-base MSNBC is and most of Twitter is with what the Democratic Party is. They're just wrong. They're wrong about their own party. Right. So, And you do see the angry young black kids, young young adults, whatever, uh, representing the BLM, defund the police uh, point of view. And, of course, you know, the, the networks are so woke, they think, okay, that's black America. 
Um, plus, they spend all their time, uh, you know, in the salons of the elite in D.C. and Manhattan. So then and, and the only black people they know went to the same social classes at Yale and Harvard as they did. So anyway, they get to they start to believe that represents America. There are triple the number of people of color who are conservative or moderate in the, in the Democratic Party than there are the woke lunatic white ladies. And uh, and, and there are some white dudes, too, um, who are pitching this stuff. But there's a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding among the energetic, you know, uh, blue check marks of the Democratic Party as to what their party is. So, um, so the Republican wins in Virginia may have won in New Jersey. That one's still up in the air, a tie, and they're still counting the votes. But Ben Shapiro tweeted out last night, call me crazy, but I think one lesson from tonight is that Republicans do better when they tell their voters to vote instead of not to vote. That was a shot at Trump. One hundred percent. And he's right. Rich Lowry of National Review responded with, yep, and Youngkin, rather than attacking early voting to have an excuse if he lost, made a major effort to bank early votes, Um, encourage people to do early voting. That was an interesting tactic by Trump. Yeah, I have so many things I want to say about last night and the results in multiple states, including mayoral offices and that sort of thing. But we are going to be talking to the fabulous Lon He Chen in like 20 minutes or so. So maybe I'll uh, keep my powder dry. Here's the big thing to me. I don't care about, yay, my team won, or we moved the ball down the field, or we got one more person. That stuff doesn't matter to me unless I'm winning these policy wars. And to me, this only matters what happened. If those two giant infrastructure bills, one that's real and one that's phony, if those don't pass, I'm still thinking they pass. I'm still thinking they pass. They won't pass. They will not pass. And if the result is Nancy gets those on the floor and figures out a way to get, say she gets $1.8 trillion out of the one, the other one's already $1.5, she got nearly $4 trillion, then who cares about last night? That didn't mean anything. They just remade America for generations to come. And, uh, you know, my kids, their kids, and their kids are going to be paying for all this. We didn't accomplish anything. That is true if those bills pass. I think the semi-legit infrastructure one will. I don't think the other one will. I think it's dead. I think, Nancy, here's what you need to remember. Who stabbed the Tea Party movement in the kidney? Who tried to kill it? Who went to the IRS and said... Don't approve any of the tax-exempt status applications. It was John McCain. Because John McCain, for reasons, and we'll leave this alone, maybe they were good, maybe they were evil, and I know you all have your opinions. The biggest pain in his butt was conservatives who, in my mind, showing my biases, actually wanted to hold the Republican Party to its principles. I was very, very staunchly in favor of the Tea Party movement. Having said that, the biggest pain in Nancy Pelosi's booty it's not Kevin McCarthy. It's the squad. Sure. It's that, uh, the, 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 what's the, uh, the, the gal who heads up the Progressive Caucus uh, of Indian Heritage? I can never remember. Jayapal? Yeah, exactly. Her and, and Rashida Tlaib and all those radicals. That's what keeps Nancy up at night. She has a chance to kneecap them now. So she's going to do it. She's going to try to get the semi-legit infrastructure thing uh, through. But... To your greater point, Jack, and I'll keep this very short, but we're getting emails saying they really liked my metaphor, my analogy. In politics, winning the election is when you're on defense. You gotta pitch. You gotta make plays. You gotta turn double plays, right? And you gotta keep the other side from scoring big. Once you win office, now you're at bat. 
And the Republican Party has done a terrible job the last couple of times it's it's bad. It has it just not passed what it said it was going to pass. It is not. It's just not executed. And to your point, Jack, they really need to score runs this time. The problem being, Republican goals are to limit government growth generally and encourage free enterprise. And that's much easier to undo than a Democratic goal, which would be a gigantic new entitlement, which you can never undo. That's the disadvantage conservatives are at. you got to live with it. That's the world. You know, keep fighting. Be smarter. Well, that's going to be one of my main questions for Lon He Chen at the bottom is going to be, does he think those two bills pass? Um, there's a really interesting piece about AI, artificial intelligence, in the Wall Street Journal today warning us all that I found fascinating. Oh, robot um, overlords. <laughs> robot overlords, you're absolutely right. Oh, no. Stop gonna, pulling my arm out of the socket. You're going, to do what the, you're going to do what they want you to do. Silence, human. They make sweet robot love to you, whether you like it or not. Oh, oh Lord. Uh, text line is 415 No consent. KFTC. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Has a baffling mystery finally been solved? Investigators believe the elusive jetpack man spotted by several airline pilots over LAX may be a life-size balloon. Just released video from an LAPD helicopter appears to show what the mysterious object in the sky really is. A Jack Skellington balloon, the spooky character from Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I think we're all rooting for some daring lunatic with an actual jetpack, probably almost certainly a balloon. So that's when the was the the pilot we heard we had the pilot saying ah but there's a guy with a jetpack just outside the window yeah it happened Let, a handful of times let's go Brandon <laughs> let's, let's go Brandon all right <laughs> turned out it's a balloon technology I'm talking about a different kind of technology here I'm talking about AI I realize I have a habit of saying this is the most consequential thing or important thing going on in the world about a lot of different things. This is really at the top of my list, though. I think the most interesting thing going, and we have no idea how we're going to deal with it, is artificial intelligence, AI. Um, it's, it's, it, it could be the only thing that matters before you know it. I watched a long uh, uh, Elon Musk video about it the other day. Um, and I remember I read the book, I think it was Humans 2.0, something like that is the name of the book, and it was about AI. And uh, it started with Elon Musk being at a party in Napa with, I think it was Eric Schmidt who wrote this piece for the Wall Street Journal today, who is one of the founders of Google, and a couple other smart people saying, we need to, people like you and I, we need to come together, we need to write up some guidelines about AI and get the United States and other major companies, to, uh, countries to sign on before this AI stuff goes any further, because it's going to get completely out of hand. Oh, boy. Well, that's what they're talking about in the Wall Street Journal today. The challenge of being human in the age of AI, which was written by Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State under uh, Nixon, and just a super smart guy about the world. Eric Schmidt, one of the founders of Google, and this Daniel Hootenlocher, or however you pronounce his name, who is an MIT professor. But they're talking about AI and a whole bunch of different angles on it. One of the ones that Elon Musk brings along all the time is it's going to replace so much work that there's just no getting around the fact that we're going to have to have some sort of guaranteed income where people are just paid to stay home 
and, and AI produces. Oh, boy. There's just no oh, getting around it. Can't imagine what that society is going to look like. I can't either. But they don't even bring that up. Uh, humans are going to need to define or perhaps redefine our role in the world for 300 years. Since the Enlightenment, the age of reason has been guided by the maximum. I think, therefore, I am. What if AI thinks, what is it then, or what are we? If AI writes the best screenplay of the year, and there's all kinds of scenarios where that could easily happen, should it win an Oscar? If an AI simulates or conducts the most consequential diplomatic negotiation of the year, should it win the Nobel Prize? Should the human inventors, can machines be creative, or do their processes require new vocabulary to describe? If a child with an AI assistant comes to consider a friend, what will become of his relationships with peers or of his social and emotional development? Is that good or bad? If AI can care for a nursing home resident, remind her to take her medicine, alert paramedics if she falls, and otherwise keep her company, can her family members visit her less? Should they? If her primary interaction becomes human to machine rather than human to human, what will be the emotional state of the final chapter of her life? Is that okay? And if in the fog of war, an AI recommend an action that would cause damage or even casualties, should a commander heed it? These questions are raising, are, are arising as a global network platform such as Google, Twitter, Facebook are all employing AI and are screaming that direction is basically what um, the writers of this article are saying, and we got to wrap our heads around it and how far we want to go down this road. I'll get to wow. more of it later, but we, we've got we've to think about this stuff before it's upon us because AI is going to be so smart, it's just going to take off and be running. Well, you just scared the hell out of me. Thanks for that. That's what I'm looking for, to be scared. Have the hell scared out of me. <laughs> Lon Hee Chan is coming up in a moment or two. What did the elections last night really mean? We'll talk to him. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Because what we must understand in the city, state, and country is that practical is progressive. That's what that's what progressive is. If you're just talking about closing only the building of Rikers Island, that's not progressive. Close the pipeline that feeds Rikers Island. I am practical and I am progressive. We've allowed that term to be hijacked. And I'm not going to allow anyone to tell me that my policies are not progressive to deal with housing, to deal with health care and these important issues that we are facing. But that's what I say to my colleagues across this country. We need real issues to solve real problems to everyday people in this country. So that's Eric Adams, who is going to be the mayor of New York City. And he ran on law and order and cracking down and adding to the police, not defunding the police. And uh, he could be a template for Democrats in the same way that Yunkin could be a template for Republicans. Perhaps, if you're going to try to extrapolate. Maybe we'll talk about that with Lonnie Chen, but we have breaking news that I think is important. Breaking wow. breaking news. Wait Brandon the breaking news donkey. This is breaking news. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi has officially announced that four weeks of paid family and medical leave are being added back in to the social spending bill. So making it more progressive. So is this the old switcheroo? Is she trying to kill it? I have been saying all day long, I only care about these results last night if they kill these trillion dollar turn us into France bills. If they don't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if if the if the if the if the the grow the government crowd always wins on policy. I don't care about 
the individual elections. If only we had someone we could talk about who's an expert in domestic policy. Well, Lon Chan is the candidate for California State Controller these days. He's on leave from the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. It's been too long. Lon how are you? Hey, great to be with you guys again. Thank you. I almost, hey, uh, I almost expired from COVID last Friday. I'm, I'm vaccinated. I got the COVID. was sickest I've ever been in my life. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're on the mend, and I was sorry to hear, but uh, glad you're fighting your way through it. Yeah, I don't know what happened. So, so let's go to that breaking news, Lonhee. What do you think Nancy's up to? What are the prospects of the semi-legitimate infrastructure bill and the gigantic Build Back Better bill in your mind? Well, you know, I think last night with what happened in Virginia and what we're seeing you know, play out in New Jersey, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who are panicked right now, and they're trying to figure out what does it mean for next year? And in particular in Congress, you know, the, the supposition was always that Republicans would have an advantage. You know, Biden's first midterm next year was going to be a good cycle for Republicans. They'd pick up seats in the House and Senate. But I think last night really punctuated that. And, and part of, I think, the effort here is I think Democrats need to figure out what direction their party is going to go in. Are they going to go toward increased progressivism, increased wokeism, and double down on, you know, in, in my view, the kinds of things that failed last night? Or are they going to try and turn in the direction? It seems like the announcement from Pelosi suggests that maybe they haven't learned those lessons and they believe that they need to, to, to continue to move in, in that progressive direction. But to your guys' point, who knows? Is this an act of sabotage? Uh, is this something, something else? I, I really don't know. It's too early to tell. But last night, a lot of lessons to be learned, I think, by both parties. Well, here's, here's what bothers me with that kind of analysis when I hear it. And you're a policy guy, so I know you care about policy. You've advised campaigns on this sort of stuff. I, I hear regularly about how Obama overreached with Obamacare, and he was punished in the midterms in 2010. They lost 60-some seats in the House. Who freaking cares? The Democrats got what they wanted, putting us on, putting us on the road to universal health care. And the same here. If Nancy Pelosi gets the turn us into France bills through, who cares if they get punished next year? They won. They got all these policies that I hate through. So isn't it about the policies and not the whether they get punished afterwards? Yeah, it, it is about the policies, except what I would say in this regard is what will prevent them from passing those policies over the next several weeks is the fear of what happens next year. So, yes, in retrospect, you're right. If they get the policy and they continue to move us in this big government direction, that is, you know, that's not a good outcome. But we are still at a point in time now where uh, things can change. And we're still at a point in time now where the election results from last night, which I think were, were pretty significant, can still have a pretty substantial impact on what happens with the policy going forward. So I think that's the sort of silver lining. But I agree with you. Look, if, if we've already had $6 trillion in fiscal stimulus. I don't think people even realize how much $6 trillion no, is. No, people don't. Now, now we're talking about adding whatever it is, a trillion and a half. I mean, at, at this point, the fact that we are even sort of saying, oh, only a trillion and a half, that is mind-boggling to me. So, you know, I, I think people just need to understand that what, what the, the best thing that can come out of last night would be a recognition from a policy perspective that there will be serious costs for moderate Democrats who vote for massive additional expansions in government. And I think that is something that certainly could be a lesson learned last night. And if it is, I think that'd be good news. 
Well, you read my mind. I was just going to bring up the prospects of the dozens and dozens of moderate Democratic Congress people who are up for election every two years. They have to have taken uh, a, a lesson. They've had to have taken note of what happened last night in Virginia. But having said that, uh, let's let's uh, focus for a minute on what happened in Virginia. Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, came from uh, way down to to beat Terry McAuliffe, longtime fixture in Democrat politics. I also think he's a soulless piece of garbage, but that's uh, that's a little editorializing on my Parents point. Parents have no business telling schools how to teach your kids. So you had him lose, having said that, which is one of the, the all-time great uh, exposures. Uh, uh, you could call it a gaffe, but he exposed himself uh, and what he really believes. But you had Republicans also win lieutenant governor and attorney general in a state which is increasingly solidly blue. Lon, he, why? What happened? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. So, first of all, you guys have set the scene very well. Virginia is a state that pundits have been saying, you know, Republicans have no shot in, right? This is a state that went from being a toss-up state in 2004, even 2008, to having uh, you know, pretty solid Democratic majorities uh, as we moved into the more recent era. And, and then what you saw last night was a complete sea change. I mean, you saw a 15-point flip, for example, amongst suburban women in their support for Joe Biden in 2020. And then just one year later, guys, it's not even talking about several years. This is one year later. Those voters went dramatically in favor of Glenn Youngkin. And the ability of Youngkin to compete in the suburbs, the ability to compete with populations uh, that, that, frankly, we have not been competitive with in Virginia for a couple cycles. I think that is the, that's the biggest point uh, that we need to take coming out of this, which is, a lot of debate will happen over how much of Virginia is replicable, how much of what happened last night we could see in other states. But fundamentally, what Youngkin showed is if you've got a candidate who's focused on state issues, he was running for governor. He wasn't talking about national politics. He was focused on what can he do to make the lives of Virginians better. That focus is appealing to people in the suburbs. It's appealing to women. It's appealing to constituencies that Republicans have struggled with in in recent years. So in that sense, I think a lot can be learned because you've got a lot of these states, Colorado, even California, where the suburban slide has been a big problem for Republicans. And I think Youngkin and Republicans showed in Virginia that they can win. And that's a very important message. So many Democrats think Twitter is the real world, and I hope they continue to think that because they will lose a lot if they continue to think Twitter is the real world. That's what doomed Kamala Harris's campaign. That's what uh, is going to doom a lot of people. But I would say you can replicate it if you can convince your opponent to say parents should have no role (laughs) in the school's (laughs) teaching of the kids. If you can get your opponent to say that, it will help a lot. Although, Lon, let me let me give you the other point of view, which I believe, which is if you can communicate that the left is so down with the teachers union and so not down with parents and kids, you can take that juice and, and maybe run with it a bit. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the position that Terry McAuliffe articulated is not that far from where, you know, a lot of Democrats, particularly in blue states, are particularly those running for office, because the, the pressures that those candidates face, they believe they have to bow to those constituencies, even if they're doing so to the point of absurdity. The notion that parents shouldn't have any say in what their kids are learning is ludicrous. It's ludicrous in Virginia. It's ludicrous in California. But that's the point of view that a lot of these guys have to take, because that's where the modern Democratic Party is. The, 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 the point is 
that the progressive, the far left progressive movement, a lot of this wokeism we're seeing has co-opted a lot of mainstream, quote unquote, mainstream Democrats. And so what Terry McAuliffe said is not some crazy kind of like out of left field thing. It's the position of the modern day Democratic Party. I think we have to acknowledge that. And that's why the Democratic Party is going to have problems in 2022, whether it's in states like Virginia or Colorado or, yeah, even California. I think they're going to have issues even here, too. So, you know, again, we just have to recognize it for what it is. It is not a position that is a a uh, a deviant position within the Democratic Party. It is a mainstream position now within the Democratic Party. Yeah, like I've said earlier, it only matters to me if it if if it's enough of a wake up call for moderate Democrats to not allow these bills to pass. Pass. I'd like it if neither one of these bills passed. But you know, Nancy Pelosi's a salty old bag. My words, not yours. Um, what I wonder what she's up to. What do you think, Joe? What the whole we're going to put the the paid leave back in? Joe Manchin has specifically said, "No, that's a that's a line I won't cross." He specifically said that's a red line for him, and she's putting it back in. I've got to admit to being mystified. My assumption would be that she would feel like her true arch nemesis, which is the the far lefties, the squad at all, that they would have the wind taken out of their sails. And she was going to absolutely yank the party moderate toward the moderate and and get that infrastructure win. I'm mystified by this move. Lonnie, do you have any thoughts? Well, look, part of it also is, while Pelosi may have instincts to move things back toward the middle, what she also realizes is she's stuck between a rock and a hard place because she needs she needs that far left progressive base to turn out. And so she's got a turnout problem as well. We'll have to see what happened. By the way, the Virginia data is still coming in, obviously, on turnout. We know Republicans turned out last night. The question is, did Democrats turn out and did the Democrats that 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 uh, McAuliffe needed to win? They clearly oh. turned out. Oh, so part of this may be a turnout play. I'm not the director of domestic policy studies anywhere, except maybe on this show. Um, but it, it just occurred to me, okay, so the Build Back Better thing is going to go down in flames. I believe that, and I pray I'm right. But to help future turnout, it's now all about mm. virtue signaling. So mm. she's adding back everything that pulls reasonably decently, and is going to haul herself up on the cross. She's going to scream and yell for it and demand it and make it clear that the Democratic Party is trying to get this for you, knowing it won't pass. Yes. Uh, stranger things have happened. Stranger okay. things have happened. Well, yeah. I was expecting, I mean, Joe, you're a genius, but I'll take that. Alani <laughs> <laughs> Chen, you're Kennedy. A stranger <laughs> things have happened. Ah, right. Now you're just flattering me. Lonnie Chen, uh, candidate for California State Controller, Director of Public Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lonnie, we could talk to you all day. Jack, you got one more? No. Appreciate your time, Lonnie. Appreciate yeah, it a lot. Yeah, always enjoy it so much. Thanks. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. You got it. I hadn't gotten to this quote yet from uh, another blue checkmark lefty. Republicans are able to feed their base misinformation directly through their news outlets. The Democratic Party needs to figure out ways to more actively court its base voters on a regular basis. You are blanking kidding me. Republicans, other than all of the legacy media, elementary, middle, high schools, and colleges. Yeah, all of the schooling, all of the legacy media, all of Hollywood and pop culture. Exactly. Other than that. Yeah. Other than that, you got nothing. It's weird. Shh, shh, probably ought to just just be quiet now. 
They're so delusional and so off base. The best thing we can do is just be quiet. I think you're right. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. She realizes it's going to die now anyway. So let's put the good stuff in there that the, the real woke loved. You know, so so that they, they I'm on board with that. Right, I can claim I was it's on no board longer about passing it. It's about uh, signaling to the base. Yeah, so she's, yeah she's, put the candy back in. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. You have any thoughts? Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, I have a confession for you. I never wear political t-shirts. I don't want people looking at me. I'm afraid no, they'll I recognize don't. me, and then I'll have to interact as a human being. I'm not um, going to wear a political t-shirt either. Which usually. is at least slightly com- uncomfortable for me. Even though when, when y'all say hello when I run into you, it's always really nice, and I appreciate you being so mm-hmm. kind. Having said all that, I wear my Let's Go Brandon t-shirt. I wear it proudly. I wear it with a smile on my face. LGB. It's got the red and blue logo. It just looks so good. Let's go, Brandon. Let's, let's go, Brandon. The let's go, Brandon hats, shirts, hoodies, all that sort of stuff flying, flying off the shelves. And if let's and, go, uh, Brandon is uh, unsubtle for you, we've got the LGB as well. LGB. At armstrongandgetty.com. Michael, you're killing me. Again, that's armstrongandgetty.com. So the thought plickens in the Alec Baldwin story. Oh, really? Alex Baldwin. He hasn't shot anybody in a couple of weeks, so that's good. Um, I don't want to give away any of the good details, so let's hear this first, and then I'll fill in anything left. The person who put the live round in the box of dummy rounds had to have the purpose of sabotaging this set. There's no other reason you would do that, that you would mix that live round in with a dummy round. Well, let me just stop you right there. Is that your theory of the case, that someone intentionally placed a live round into a box of dummies for the purpose of it ending up in a weapon that would be used on set? We don't have a, a theory yet. We are investigating and we were we were trying to get all the facts. That's one of the possibilities. I believe that somebody uh, who would do that would want to sabotage the set, want to prove a point, want to say that they're disgruntled, they're unhappy. And we know that people had already walked off the set the day before. Having the director killed is a good way to show you're disgruntled. Um, the cinematographer, yeah, poor young woman. So I- I recognize the voice there. That was Savannah Guthrie, who is a uh, legal analyst herself for, or was for NBC before she took over hosting duties on the Today Show. She knows her way around the law. Um, so that's that's an interesting arg- argument. Then going to try to argue that somebody sabotaged the set and well put Alec Baldwin in a particularly awful situation. Yeah, that's a heck of a protest. Whoa! Well, you're crazy. Is it somebody who, who, who believes that armorer chick was no good at her job and sought to uh, prove the case beyond any reasonable doubt? Accidentally, well, un- inadvertently committed a murder? Wow, now I'm interested. Yeah. Um, continue to see Alec Baldwin and his uh, fake Spaniard wife out and about, and I just, I just can't figure out what's going on there. I can't, I can't figure out if, if they want the attention. I mean, stop going out. I can stay home for days and days at a time. 
If the whole world was going to take pictures of me when I stood out, stepped out of my house, I'd make my coffee at home. I wouldn't walk down the street to the local coffee shop. Yeah, I don't know. I've never dealt with fame on his level. I absolutely see your point. I think there's part of people that stubbornly clings to, I am not going to be imprisoned by my fame. Even this uh, this momentary, like, extra interesting period of it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I can't answer for his crazy, crazy head. I think that the might paparazzi, have something to do with it. The paparazzi constantly screaming questions at him, trying to bait him into uh, losing his temper, which will probably happen because he's that kind of guy. And I wouldn't blame him for saying, what is wrong with you people? A woman got accidentally killed. You're following me down the street in the middle of the night to a coffee shop. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, what the hell's wrong with you, I would ask him. There are 24 million actual Spaniard women in Spain. 24 million. And yet you go with a fake Spaniard wife. What's going on there? <laughs> get the full money. Get the, get the Spanish gal. If you Question want that. that's never been answered. Did, she, did, did he know that she was just Hillary from Boston when he married her? Or did he think she was Hilaria from Spain? And now he's kind of in it, and he's got kids, and, you know, we can divorce your wife because she's a fake European. I mean, <laughs> what are the grounds for divorce? Fake European, Your Honor. <laughs> I have no idea. Again, can't even get close to his crazy, crazy head. <laughs> if you miss an hour of the show, it's the same place you get the Let's Go Brandon stuff. You just go to armstrongandgetty.com. You can podcast it hour by hour. It's pretty cool. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.